Uh, no, today is the day of Pentecost. It is a unique day in the life of the church. It is the day that we have our red banner standing at the front of the, of the sanctuary to remind us of the Holy Spirit coming on the disciples in that, in that um, amazing event, which I'll read here in just a moment. Um, it is the only day that this, that this uh, banner stands at the front of the sanctuary. The rest of the time it rotates around the rest of the room with the others. Uh, so you came on the right day. Because this is a special day. It's a day when we remember that God sends his spirit on all of his people um, and transforms their lives. Now, you might feel a little bit disjointed in terms of what hour of the day that I'm standing right here, because this might feel a little little bit early to you in the scope of the service, which is all right. Uh, That was by design uh, so that we can emphasize and celebrate the baptism of Anne Galloway. Hi, Anne. Um, she is very excited about this, and I am too. And I see this sermon as a kind of a preparation for that event. I, I see Anne's baptism as very much connected to the story of, of Pentecost. Um, so the sermon will be about the day of Pentecost, and then we'll just transition right into Anne's baptism. And then we'll carry on with the rest of our service like normal, you know, with the offering and the prayers and all the stuff that you're used to having. But a little bit of, again, a little bit of disruption might not be such a terrible thing after all, right? A little bit of feedback, a little bit of different stuff in the service. Anyway, here we are. Let's take a moment to pray together. And as I lead in prayer, see if, um, see if you can join me in this prayer and, and uh, release whatever tension or stress or... Um, anxiety is in your, in your mind, in your soul, in your body, um, as we prepare for this encounter with God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you with full lives, with full agendas, with uh, conflicts and dramas and situations and needs that are many. And if we named them all, we might be here all day. But we come before you, releasing those into your care, so that we might receive from you a word from your word, and that we might uh, be changed by this encounter with you. So take us as we are, fill us with your spirit, you are welcome in this place, and we give you thanks that you have said that we are welcome in this place as well. Speak through these words, and may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, for you are our Lord and our Redeemer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The sermon text is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, 
God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all of these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you might suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When God's spirit shows up, things get interrupted. I did not have anything to do with the sign out front. Um, Stacy, our secretary, manages that and she puts it all together. And she, of her own volition, not knowing anything about this message, put the, on the sign out there the question, are you ready to be interrupted by God? When God's spirit shows up, things get interrupted. Our normal patterns of behavior shift dramatically. The old has gone, the new has come. Things change when we learn to be driven by the Spirit, rather than driven by our own desires and interests. Driven by the Spirit, of course, was the slogan that we commandeered, so to speak, for our 75th anniversary as a church last year. Remember that? It was almost a year ago. Driven by the Spirit, in reference to the conversation that Jesus and Nicodemus had back in John chapter 3, Nicodemus asked, uh, how can someone be born a second time? What does it mean to be born again? And Jesus said, it's not about physical rebirth, it's about a spiritual rebirth. It's about spiritual formation. 
spiritual transformation from the inside out. It's about learning to move in alignment with the movements of God's spirit. It's about being driven by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is alive and moving even today, calling people to be transformed, inspiring people to serve and to sacrifice, moving people to give of themselves for the sake of the kingdom of God. But sensing and accepting the movement of God's spirit in our midst is not natural. It's not normal and it's not always easy. And it's not always easy, especially for people who exist in established communities of faith. The longer that we exist in one particular mode of worship or one congregation or one denomination, or the longer we live in one community of faith, I think the easier it becomes to leave behind all this talk of transformation and being driven by the Holy Spirit, the easier it becomes to rest comfortably in the traditions and practices of our history in which there is great value, but it's easier and easier for us to ignore the call of God to move forward into a new and exciting future. I think that reality is demonstrated in two different ways in this text from Acts 2. The first way is maybe a little bit more obvious than the second. The first way is this. It was the day of Pentecost, which was an ancient Jewish festival. It had been practiced for centuries. It was one of the three major religious holidays where Jews came from all over the place to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship God. They did this three times a year pretty regularly. And they listed off in this passage a long list of locations where they all came from. And it's a summary, basically, of all of the land around the Mediterranean Sea. Southern Europe into the Middle East and down into Northern Africa. From basically all of the Mediterranean world, people came to Jerusalem. And the story records how the people heard the mighty works of God being declared, not in a common universal language like Greek was at that time, or maybe English is today, but in their own home languages, in their own dialects. How utterly astonishing and amazing for everyone to hear in their own languages the message of what God was doing in the world. This was a sign of the Holy Spirit's presence in the lives of the disciples of Jesus. The Spirit of God gave them this supernatural ability to speak in languages that they did not previously know, so that the good news of Jesus could be communicated to people of all nations and all ethnicities. But there were doubters. There were skeptics. There were cynics. Verse 13 in this passage kind of stands alone. It doesn't have to be there for the story of Pentecost to be told, but there it is. Some people made fun of the disciples and said they have had too much to drink, too much wine. Now, these were well-intentioned people. They were God-fearing Jews from some part of the Mediterranean world. They were in the presence of the Holy Spirit. They heard the disciples preaching in their own languages, and they decided to be skeptical. 
in response. After all, they had come to Jerusalem for worship, for the day of Pentecost, like perhaps they had done many times in the past. This annual celebration was something that was very normal for them. It was the way they had always gone about doing their lives of worship with God. It's what they expected. It's what they knew. It's what was meaningful to them, and it's what they wanted. The tradition of their ritual worship was extremely comfortable, and, and that's good for it to be very comfortable. But when something new was introduced, when the Holy Spirit introduced something new, these people responded with skepticism. Their initial reaction, and we just have to say their initial reaction, they may have had their minds changed, by the end of the story, but their initial reaction was to ignore this movement of God. Oh, they've just had too much wine. But there's another level on which we can appreciate the difficulty of sensing the movement of God's spirit. And here it takes maybe a little bit of imagination. Here I'm reading a little bit between the lines, maybe. And if it's a little too much, maybe you can forgive me for it. But it, it, it struck me as being perhaps relevant for us. It's in the community of the disciples themselves, the disciples of Jesus, those that had walked with Jesus up through his, his uh, well, through his ministry and up to his death and his burial and his resurrection and now his ascension. And now they are waiting for the next step. Jesus promised, as Heather read for us, that he would send another comforter, that there would be another one to come to guide them, to lead them, to direct them. And they just had to wait for that spirit to arrive. So they waited. They didn't have to wait very long, of course, because all of this happened in pretty short order. Uh, Jesus died and was buried and was resurrected in just three days. And then he was with his disciples for another 40 days, ascended into heaven. And then 10 days later came the day of Pentecost. So this is all within the span of a couple of months. This has been a very short period of time. So not a lot has happened This is, of course, the second chapter of Acts. There's only one chapter before this, and there hasn't been much time for the disciples to do much of anything. In fact, the only stories recorded before this in the book of Acts, before the day of Pentecost, are the ascension of Jesus, where he ascends up into heaven, wherever that is and whatever that looked like. And then the disciples had a job to do. They chose Matthias to complete the circle of their 12 disciples. There had been 12. Jesus had 12 disciples. Uh, 12 is a good biblical number. 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, There are lots of instances of the number of 12 and other numbers like 40 and uh, 3 and 7. Numbers are kind of important throughout scripture. And 12 was an important uh, historical number. And Jesus had these 12 disciples. Uh, But one of them, Judas Iscariot, betrayed Jesus to the authorities, which led to his quick execution. Uh, his crucifixion. And Judas apparently was so distraught, perhaps filled with remorse or grief or anguish over what he had done, that he killed himself. Uh, Judas died before Jesus died. Um, When Jesus came back to life, Judas remained in the grave. So there was a vacancy in the circle of 12. There were only 11. And so the first thing 
that the disciples decided to do. After Jesus ascended up into heaven and they're left kind of to their own devices, what do we do now? Well, they called the nominating committee together and they figured out who should fill seat number 12. That vacancy needed to be filled and they dealt with the situation in all earnestness and probably with the best of intentions. And they put forward two candidates, Matthias, who eventually was chosen. Do you remember the name of the other one? It's mentioned almost as frequently as Matthias is. Joseph was his name. Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice. Joseph Justice, Joseph Barsabbas. Only mentioned right there. We never heard from him again. In fact, we hardly ever heard from Matthias again. The disciples prayed, they deliberated, they discussed about this, and then they cast lots, which is a really fascinating way to make choices. Um, it's basically rolling dice, more or less, and seeing how they come up. But it's an, it's an ancient biblical kind of a practice. To, they, they trusted that God would allow the choice to be made in the right way. Um, has lots of historical precedent. They cast lots. Matthias was chosen, was added to the twelve, and then was never mentioned again in the rest of the entire New Testament. Now, I'm not faulting the disciples for choosing a new number twelve. I trust that they did it in good faith and that Matthias... Whatever he did was useful and beneficial and valuable in the life of the early church. We just don't have any record of it. But I find it interesting that the Holy Spirit came into the lives of those disciples, not just when the crowds least expected it, but probably when the disciples least expected it too. They were busy reshuffling committee memberships and taking care of doing things the way that they had always done things when God's Spirit showed up. In some ways, that reminds me of established congregations like ours. We have been around for much longer than just a handful of days, like the disciples had been, or even a few years. We've been around for 76 years now. We have a nominating committee, we have a church council, we have positions that need to be filled, and we have ways of doing things that are pretty deeply entrenched in ourselves. And that's all fine. But I believe that it's difficult for long-term Christians in established congregations to sense and accept the movement of God's Spirit in our midst, especially when that Spirit moves in a new direction. It's just not normal, and it's not easy. The disciples in Acts 2 got on board with what the Holy Spirit was doing. To their credit, Peter stood up with the rest of the group and began to preach. He quoted a passage from the Old Testament prophet Joel, and his sermon continues through the next several verses, almost all the way through the end of chapter 2. Peter and the other disciples recognized that the Spirit of God was in their midst, and was being made available to everyone. Now that Jesus had come, and had died, and had risen, and had ascended, God was not willing to wait any longer to bring about the fulfillment of his will and his word. God was present and active, doing the unusual, empowering all kinds of people to proclaim the wonders of the Lord. The Holy Spirit had come, and was changing everything, for all of those who heard and believed the message of Jesus. We are still living in the time of Pentecost today. There are some church traditions, Christian traditions, that label themselves Pentecostal, 
And that means something maybe a little bit different than what I mean here. We are still in the time of Pentecost, meaning that we are still in the time of God's spirit dwelling among us and moving among us. The the story has not changed since the day of Pentecost. This is the time when God is moving among God's people. Peter said in his sermon that they were in the last days. And we are still in the last days today. We have been since that time. God is still doing this final work of drawing people to Jesus, of pouring out his Holy Spirit on all kinds of people so that others might hear the message and call on the name of the Lord and be saved. We are in the last days, and we have been since that first day of Pentecost. With every new generation, the Holy Spirit continues to be poured out on individuals and communities of faith. God continues to transform individuals and communities in surprising ways. God continues to disrupt the normal rhythms and established routines that we have made for ourselves so that we might learn to pay attention to the voice of God and then participate in the transforming work of spiritual formation in ourselves and in the lives of others. It's good and comforting and meaningful to have rhythms and traditions and regular practices as a church community, but let us never become so comfortable with how we do things that we respond with cynicism or disbelief when God acts. Let us learn to be willing to be surprised by God's movement in our midst to be amazed at what God is doing in our community, to respond with an attitude of willing partnership rather than angry frustration. Look for evidence of God's spirit moving in your life or in someone else's life. Watch for signs of people calling on the name of the Lord and celebrate those signs because God is always in the business of doing something new. God is always working to transform individuals and communities. We should never grow weary of celebrating that transformation.